I left the pew without a Bible, and that was going to make this really short. But I have seen worse years ago, Danny Logan, when he worshipped in Plainview, 30 years ago, made it all the way to the pulpit, and I had to walk all the way to the back of the building to do it, so to get the Bible. It's really a great blessing that we have to be here, the opportunity that we have as children of God to gather ourselves to offer our praise and worship. It's not a benefit or a privilege that all people of the earth have. And we should not take it for granted that we have this great privilege. I told somebody this morning that uh, years ago I said something about putting a lesson together that was random thoughts, and I was told not to do it which is probably a good idea because Mark Hayes gave me an example of how bad that could be. In an effort to present a study, put together a study that I want to present, that seems like it, what I, that is what I struggled with. I ultimately went back, which I typically do, and look at old lessons that I have and found this one from 15 years ago, and there was one particular point I wanted to pull out and expand upon, but in reading through it, I called Cain and kind of gave him the uh, cliff notes on it and asked what he thought about it, and he said, well, I was 14 years old when you gave that, so I think it'd be good to give again. So it does have some changes, but ultimately, uh, that is the, uh, what I have reverted to, a, a t lesson that is entitled The Voice of Truth, and that, that title is based in a contemporary Christian song from 15, 16 years ago. Uh, this particular lesson begins with a, something I think was pretty contemporary at the time, a story of a rock climber, I believe, out in Arizona who was climbing uh, through that area alone, and he got his arm caught in a rock, and there was nobody to help. He ultimately took his knife and amputated his own arm so that he could get to safety. That illustration of a physical, um, a radical decision to physical danger is a pretty good story to illustrate what we must sometimes do, what we must face as Christians. If we are Christians, if we want to follow God, then it often calls for us to make very difficult, some would say radical choices in our lives. But God tells us that we must eliminate certain things from our life if we will be His. Turn, if you would, to Mark 9. Beginning in verse 43, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than, to, than having two feet to be cast into hell, 
into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And so we see our opening story of a man removing his arm to save his life physically is not such a radical idea. Because God's word tells us that if we have anything that's going to hold us back, it's better to get rid of it, no matter how important we think it is. He says there are things that must be totally cut off. Oftentimes we find these things to be things that are essential to normal life or things that have great emotional value to us. But they can, can be or can become the things that cause us to stumble or worse yet, that can trap us and cause spiritual death. So if we have something in our life, if you have something in your life that is holding you back, then it's time to take that extraordinary measure to prevent this. You know, often we begin to slip, to slip away from God and not realize the condition we're in, and that's the nature of sin often, that we drift, and if we're not looking at our lives in light of God's Word, then we will fail to be aware of the condition we're in. In Revelations 3, verse 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. This congregation, this church here, had a reputation of being full of life. But Jesus states plainly, he said, you're dead. There, if you continue to read, you will see that there are many of their number that had defiled themselves, or as the scripture um, terms it, defiled their garments. They had failed to see how that sin was coming back into their life and how it was affecting them. They had failed to make uh, extreme changes to prevent that from happening. They were trapped in sin and did not realize the terrible condition that they were in. So as we, we will look at some specific things tonight, but it, as any time, our goal is to, for us to look at our lives in light of the Bible. There's many aspects that we could apply this, this lesson to, but we will look at some specific things. But look at your own life as we read these scriptures and consider how that it can help you improve your walk with God. Jesus prayed to God in John 17, verse 17. He said, Thy word is truth. And we have before us tonight God's word. We have truth, absolute truth. We have that in our hands day to day, and we want to examine that in our daily lives and in a small aspect examine that this evening and seek the word of truth, or as our lesson is titled, the voice of truth. We live in a nation that is very blessed. We have a lot of freedoms. 
we have a great abundance. We have the freedom to gather here this evening to worship. We do not fear. We don't fear our government. We have the ability to speak freely, to speak God's word freely, and it's a great blessing. But our society is very affluent. And because of that, we can enter upon, upon adulthood, almost anyone can enter the workforce and begin making enough money to earn a, a sufficient living to provide the necessities of life. Very few are, of us are content to only have the necessities. But God's warn, word warns us that he w who would be rich will fall into a trap, into a snare. And wealth and things and materialism can be easily become a trap to us. It seems often that we are far more concerned with things than actual money itself to store up, in our society at least, but the results are, are the same. We as a society are in constant pursuit of money so that we can buy the things that we want, or we're in pursuit of money so that we can make a payment on the things that we've already acquired. That is not how God has instructed us to handle our personal finances. It is a vicious cycle that can entrap us. P.T. Barnum said, uh, money is a wonderful slave and a terrible master. Materialism will make us slaves to the dollar. But I believe that Pro uh, Proverbs says it even better in, verse, in chapter 22, verse 7, the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Turn to Ecclesiastes 2, beginning in verse 4. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water, to water therewith with wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold, and the peculiar treasure of kings, and of the provinces. I get me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept it not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labors. This was my portion of all my labor. The writer says that I have had the ability, the wealth, to gather all these things. Whatever I wanted, I've not kept it back. And in the next verse he said, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, it was all vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. If we make this our pursuit to, to provide the things that we want, then it is vanity, as we are taught. If we fail to realize it now, we will look back one day 
and know that it is emptiness. Turn to Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on it. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubic unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which is today, and the morrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye? Clothe you, O ye of little faith. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be filled? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. If we fail to seek God first, then one day we will look back and realize the time that we have lost with our family and with our Christian friends, lost opportunities. We will have lost opportunities to serve our fellow man and God. And it's because we have become slaves to the things of this world. He tells us not to be deceived. We cannot serve two masters. Turn to Mark 8. Beginning in verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 34 says to take up our cross and to deny ourselves. I think that is almost a completely lost concept today, that of self-denial in any form, whether it's materialism or anything else. But we re- need to remember as God's children that there is value in denying self in many ways. We can pursue everything that this life has to offer, and when we leave this world, we will leave with absolutely nothing. So ultimately, the choice is there's, we can have temporary pleasure, but ultimately to do that is to exchange our time and our efforts for nothing. Because when we leave, we leave with nothing. Turn to James uh, 5, beginning in verse 1. 
Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rest of them shall be witness against you and shall eat your flesh as if it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Don't let the things of this world, riches and things, be the things that witness against us in eternity. Next, I'd like to look at entertainment. I think this... Initially, I think of this being something that most strongly affects parents of teenagers and, and slightly older children, 8, 10, up to graduation. But then again, 12 years ago, we never thought we'd have one of our elders get up and speak to us about the dangers that smartphones uh, can bring about very accurately. So... These kind of things can entrap any of us. We live in a country, as I said, where we have affluence. We have time for time and money for hobbies and many form of leisurely activities. And we are often warned from this pulpit about the dangers of inappropriate or immoral entertainment. But it is just as great a danger, if not more so, if we immerse our families in a culture of entertaining ourselves, feeling like we must always be entertained. As we read in Ecclesiastes, the writer said he had held nothing back from himself that he desired, and it was empty. It was vain. We have already referenced the scripture that tells us that we are to deny ourselves. A continual pursuit of entertainment can drain you physically, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. When my kids were growing up, we had show sheep, and we went to about four different shows each year. You can involve yourself in that particular activity, livestock shows, pretty much year-round if you wanted to. 4-H activities have such a number of activities, it's almost mind-boggling, and leaders will suggest that you get involved in as many as possible. You know, if that's not your thing, there's four-wheaters and motorcycling, there's boating, fishing, skiing, hiking, shooting, hunting. Your children, there's movies and choir. For adults, there's other groups that get together and, and sing and form bands. And There's acting for adults and for children, music, music concerts, and on and on. You can get your children involved in football, track, baseball, tennis, volleyball, softball, wrestling, boxing, golf, powerlifting, soccer, and basketball, and on and on it goes. You can have your children in basketball nearly all year round. There's AAU, Little Dribblers, UIL, sanctioned, and numerous camps. And parents, more and more, take their kids and involve them in these things over and over again in multiple different things year-round, filling their time with entertaining their children or entertaining themselves, living their lives through their children. Parents who are raising children, it's time to wake up and decide to take, have the home court advantage. You need to have your children at home. There are benefits to various activities, 
But we often make excuses about the benefits of these programs and, and activities to, ingest, to justify involving our children in more and more of them. The truth is, as many children are involved in four or five or more of these activities that constantly consume their time throughout the year. It's no wonder that we are tired. It's no wonder that we are broke. It's no wonder that we don't have time with our children at home, that we don't have time for the things of God's kingdom. And if we immerse our families in a culture of entertainment, we're going to teach these children that the world revolves around them. And it will not be a wonder, should not be a wonder, if we lose our children to this world. Turn to Deuteronomy 6. Beginning in verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. This scripture has always spoke to me as being something that we implemented continually throughout the day. When the children come home from school, whenever we hear what's going on, we take the things that they're experiencing them and apply God's word to that and how God's word views these activities whatever's happened that day, these different things that you're going through, the different things that's going on with your friends, it's applying God's word to those situations continually. Parents, we cannot do that if we don't know God's word, and we cannot do that if we do not have time alone with our children to teach them God's word and to apply, apply the principles that we find in his word. If we are going to stay on the road moving all the time, how do we apply these principles? How is it possible that we can provide that kind of guidance to our children when dad becomes the bank, mom becomes the taxi driver, and the children are moved from place to place, from one activity to another, for a lifetime of nonstop entertainment? That is not a life that honors God. And when we live that way, then we have given church, the church a place of irrelevance in our lives. And we teach our children that happiness is pursuit of self rather than that of God. The writer of Ecclesiastes pursued riches, pleasure, and entertainment in search of happiness. But he did not find fulfillment. He found emptiness, emptiness pessimism, bitterness, and vanity. Turn to Matthew 13, please. Matthew 13, 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heard the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word and he becometh unfruitful. So this is a verse out of the parable of the sower where it teaches us that, that some seed found different, fell on different types of ground. And on this type that was sown among thorns, 
It was choked out by the cares of this world. Dads, parents, it's essential that you take back your homes from the world. It's time to stand up and to do the right things and to put the right, the right emphasis or the right value in the right places. We need to train up our children in the nurture and admonition of God, of God's word. Turn to 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3, verse 1 through 4. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And there's a great list of things here that we ultimately find out is very distasteful and to be dealt with in a, very radical uh, in a very radical way. But among all these things, it says that in these last days, there are people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. If we are going to have the advantage of raising our children in godly homes, we actually have to have them at home more than just to sleep. Turn to Romans 8. Beginning in verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It is impossible for us to be spiritually minded if all of our time and energy and effort and resources are channeled into the pursuit of self and of entertainment. Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the song that I mentioned earlier, The Voice of Truth, it references different stories from the Bible. The thought here is that it that what I would give to have the strength to stand for these things, being surrounded by warriors, facing the giant, is the imagery here, that of David and Goliath. But the Goliath calls out and mocks, and that's what the world does. It mocks us, tells us that our beliefs are silly, tells us that God's word is fables. But God's word is truth, and it is our responsibility, each and every one of us, to apply God's word to our own lives and to that 
that to the raising of our families. Last of all, I'd like to look at our relationships. Very often, in many situations, it's easier just to go along to get along. Sometimes we may decide it's even more pleasant or pleasurable to join into the world's activities. We get caught up in things. As we read from Romans 12, verse 2, it says, But be not conformed to this world. We often find it easier to conform and wish for courage. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 33 and 34. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The reality is, is very often we just want what we want. We have talked over the years about how that society changes and how it's affecting us in different ways. Society is affecting the church, it's affecting Christian families, and the devil is after our families. We talk about things from the pulpit that I never dreamed we'd hear. Hugh J. talked on a lesson that says that whoever claims to be the authority is now identified 112 genders, I believe he said. Cohabitation became socially acceptable, I guess, in the 70s when I was a little kid, maybe before that. And then the homosexual relationships became something that was being pushed upon us through society. It's affecting us and our homes in the church. And as I said, it's, very, it's easier for us to say that we just want to go along to get along. The fact is, for many, many years, even up until recently, and maybe even now at times, the norms within society understood certain, certain morals based on God's Word. It was accepted. It's true. These things are not acceptable. But then my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, my son, or my daughter becomes involved in that, and suddenly it's okay. It's not okay. It's unacceptable. Are we willing to stand up against these things? We won't stand up against cohabitation. We won't stand up against a homosexual lifestyle. What if one of they want to bring one of these 112 genders into our home and expect us to call that normal. Our family, our brother, our sister, our mother, our son or our daughter. You hear things and you hear things from Christians like, you know, we have to deal with some of these things, but I think, and I'll tell you what, what I think does not matter. What God's Word says is what matters. That is our God. 
And when we face these things, brethren, do not face them without your elders. Do not face them without your brothers and sisters. Lean on them. The world tells us that these things are normal and many other things. But that is the voice of the devil. It's the voice of ungodly friends and family. Turn to Romans 12, please. Verse 9 and 10. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. We are taught here to abhor that which is evil. I don't watch a lot of news because it's exhausting and draining and I think there's better things to do with our time ultimately. But I know over the past several years, maybe 10 years, there's a... a uh, preacher of some sort and, and his small congregation that are, um, they pro protest different things, but they're very hate-filled. And they call people names and said, God hates whatever this is that they're protesting, defining that as the person. God does not hate humanity. He hates sin. He sent his son to save us, but we as God's children are not to involve ourselves in the evil of this world. It teaches us that we are to cleave, to cling to that which is good. We need strong alliances. David was talking about being fully present. Kelly and Madison and I were talking about this transition from the generation of my parents to the generation of my children. When I was growing up, and, and, and pretty well through all out, throughout all of American history, from the time of my parents and before, it was socially acceptable and it was normal to show up at another Christian's home unannounced and visit. It was normal to have that kind of connectedness. People came into our home all the time when I was growing up. Had cousins that were closer to Ken's age. Everybody called mother Aunt Ann. Just come in and see if Aunt Ann had some biscuits left over. People coming over on Wednesday night after services. You know, what? there used to be a farewell. I think we still use it sometime. I think it probably means something a lot different. You could be leaving someone, someone's home and they'd say, well, come see us. Or they could be leaving your home right now. And you'd, they'd say, well, y'all come see us. What, what did we mean by that? It meant don't wait for an invitation. Come see us. We need to be connected to our brothers and sisters. We need to cleave. We need to have strong alliances. We need to quit thinking about how we can work our way around and make do in sinful situations because it's with people who we want to be with, who we're emotionally attached to. 2 Corinthians 6.
verses 14 through 16. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God saith, as God hath saith, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We must have a godly influence. And we can, and we do spend time with unbelievers. And that may give us the opportunity to set an example, to teach them God's word. But the goal of the world is to drag you in, into it and to discount or ridicule, not always, but to at least discount the truth of God's word. But if we choose to immerse ourselves in worldly friendships, in worldly relationships, whether that's friends or family, over Christian fellowship, then God warns us. He said, don't be deceived, you will be corrupted. If we are trapped in worldly friendships, worldly relationships that do not honor God, then we must make our way out of those things. As we continue in verse 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I have skipped, skipped a scripture somewhere. There we go. Turn to Malachi 3. Malachi 3, verse 16 through 18. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. There's more to this that I want us to read, but this scripture teaches us here that those who fear God speak often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, and in that day when I will make up my jewels, and I, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. There are many things that can hinder us in this life. Things we haven't talked about. Things we have talked about. Materialism, entertainment. Doing those things which please ourselves or ungodly relationships. They can drag us down and destroy us if we will not deal with them in light of God's word. 
I'm going to want to encourage you each to choose to listen to the word of truth, the voice of God's word, and believe it. If you have a need, if there's one who has been taught and would like to be obedient in baptism for the remission of sins, or if there's one who needs the prayers of the church, would invite either one to come and sit on the front as we stand and sing.